The subtitle of the seminar is Empowering the Final Remnant. Doesn't have a great sound to it. Today is more than ever before is the time to have modern day Daniels and Daniela's who dare to stand up for Jesus and the truth, who dare to make the purpose firm, who dare to make it known. Today at my hearing, where I was born in the Middle East, close to the headquarters of ISIS, there are Christians like you and me, ancient Christians from the time of the apostles, who are told by ISIS, either deny Christ or die. And I just want to challenge all of us to appreciate the freedom we have to be ready for Christ to come and to be able to stand for Jesus and the truth though the heavens fall. There is so many, so much confusion today out there. People are wondering, can the trumpet make a certain sound? This seminar is about the trumpet making a certain sound because God is longing to have modern-day Daniels, who will be his showcases in the world. He will shine like a bright star in the firmament, like Daniel 12 says. You know, Daniel 12 concludes with victory and deliverance. And if you look at Daniel 12, verse 1, it says, Jesus is our defender. Jesus is our protector, and Jesus is our deliverer. Thank God for ultimate deliverance. We're going to have a word of prayer to start our seminar. Loving Father, we can't stand alone in this troubled world unless you stand with us. And we know that you stand with us. Just like the Apostle Paul said, all my friends left me. All my earthly support collapsed. But the Lord Jesus stood by me. Dear Lord, as we prepare ourselves and be equipped to be modern-day Daniels, may you stand by us, though the heavens fall. In Jesus' name, amen. After Jesus, my wife is my best friend. We just celebrated our 44th anniversary. And people wonder how in the world she was able to put up with me for 44 years. We travel every weekend together somewhere to conduct seminars and workshops about Christ's methods, Christ's ways of doing things to help our people become more Christ-like. And she happens to like to drive. So she likes to be my chauffeur. Isn't it nice? Well, I use my smartphone to contact people, pray with students. And I taught how to drive when we were freshmen in college. I was her teacher. We practiced on a beat-up VW Bug 1957 model, which tells you how old we are. And now my wife drives much better than me. When she drives, I can fall asleep, I can rest, I can focus on my work. I have no worry because she is not only a skilled driver, she is very careful. So I trust her completely. So thank you for being my advisor my wife, my best friend, and my chauffeur in our van, plus playing anything I asked her to play. Whatever I asked her to play, she said, yes. Isn't that nice? It makes life happy and simple. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy. Now, you came to the seminar, which entitled Dare to be a Daniel, Empowering the Found Remnant. It's a very fitting seminar as a sequel to the one we just finished. Facing the ISIS crisis and facing time of trouble. And there is no other way but to face like Daniel did. What Daniel faced, we're facing today, we'll face in the future. As far as lifestyle issues, persecution, time of trouble. And, and we have at least... 33 books on Daniel in our Adventist church since Uriah Smith about Daniel's prophecies, which is wonderful. We need to be experts in prophecy, but please don't forget about the character of Daniel. 
Ellen White said by inspiration, it's wonderful to know his prophecies, to know what's coming ahead in the world, but don't forget about his character. So I spent five years researching specifically the character of Daniel and how we can emulate his character and be Christ-like that came forth in this latest book called Dare to be a Daniel, Empowering the Final Remnant. And you see, the sky is studded with stars, bright stars. Why? Because we're told in Daniel 12, the last chapter of Daniel, God is going to make us into shining stars in the firmament. God wants us to be his showcase in the world. You know what a showcase is? Something you can be proud of. God wants us to represent him well in the world. He wants us to show what the gospel can do to transform our lives and make it more Christ-like. Dare to be a Daniel. A lot of people who hear the challenge in our churches in North America say, I want that. I want my pastor to know it, my teachers, my church members, my students. I want them to dare to be a Daniel because in this postmodern age, everything, anything goes. It's like what? The Bible says there was a time where there was no king in Israel. There was chaos. No king in Israel, no spiritual leadership. But thank God, today we have the king in Israel. His name is Jesus Christ. And without such leadership, everybody does what seems right in his own eyes. But when it comes to Jesus being our king, we do always what is right in his eyes. I'd rather do what's right in his eyes than my eyes. Because there is a way that seems right unto us. But the end of it is the way of destruction. Now, I'm talking about character. Do you think character is important? Some people don't want to think about character. They think it's legalism. I'm not interested in legalism. All I'm interested in, in what Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Some people don't want to think about commandments, like some Americans do ignore the Constitution. How can you be a good American citizen and disregard the Constitution? How can you prepare yourself, how can I prepare myself to be a good citizen of heaven and ignoring God's Constitution, which is the Decalogue in Exodus 20? You know, the Decalogue, which is God's Constitution, has preamble, an introduction. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of bondage. People don't think about it. They, they start with, thou shalt not. You know? But remember, the way God introduced his constitution, the preamble is that I am the Lord your God. And look at the possessive pronoun your, meaning God belongs to us and we belong to him. It doesn't say, I'm the Lord God. It says, I'm the Lord, your God. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that an awesome blessing? The ones who stayed here from previous seminar, we said the greatest two solutions to our problems is Christ's righteousness and Christ's eternal life. He gives those two awesome solutions for our biggest problems, sin and death. And now, as we talk about the character of Daniel, that's what happens to all of us when we open our hearts to Jesus' righteousness and receive eternal life. And he gives us this character to be a shining star in the firmament. My friends, in these last days, we're involved in spiritual Olympics Anybody in this audience ever became acquainted with or you know about an Olympian? Raise your hand. Somebody who ever was involved in the Olympics. I, I'm, I see a couple of hands. I became acquainted with somebody who was, went to the Olympics and received a silver star. I tell you something. He did his best to be ready. And we are facing the spiritual Olympics. And you know something? Instead of doing the least for Christ, we should do the most. 
Can any Olympian for his desire to receive a perishable medal, be it gold, silver, or bronze, do you think he would simply say, let me do my least, let me get by? Oh, no. He wants to do his best. Christ did his best for us, didn't he? He gave his life for us. He did his best. He still does his best for us. And because we love him, we want to do our best for him. And even though our best is not good enough, yet we can do our best for him. Because Ellen White said, when we do our best for Christ, he becomes our righteousness. And like Mary Magdalene, who was so conscientious, she came to anoint the body of Jesus. She was criticized harshly. By the way, when you take a stand for Jesus and the truth, be prepared to be criticized. I used to think if I did my best and loved everybody and was honest with everybody, everybody would love me. That's the very reason why Satan attacks you, because you want to follow Jesus. And Mary was attacked. By who? By church members. The disciples themselves criticized harshly. Have you ever been criticized for doing a good thing? God loves you. And if you suffer, you suffer with cause. And we're told by the spirit of prophecy, it's the greatest honor. The greatest honor to share in the sufferings of Christ. In heaven, we'll look back and wish we suffered more for Christ. So they start criticizing harshly. What did Jesus say? Oh, you know, Jesus our greatest defense. The more we experience of Christ's defense, the less defensive we become. Because Mary did not defend herself at all. Why? Because she experienced Christ's defense in her behalf. And the more defensive we become, the less of Christ's defense we experience. Because we want to defend ourselves. And when we defend ourselves, Christ is squeezed out and he cannot defend us. We stand in his way of defense. It's just like if, you are, if you're in a court of law and you are a defendant. And every time the judge... The prosecutor asks questions, you butt in, and you keep talking and talking and defending yourself, and your defense lawyer cannot open his mouth. Is that a good way to defend? Absolutely not. Let Jesus defend you. He'll do a better job than your job. And look what he said to these people. He said to them, stop criticizing her. Enough is enough. In colloquial English, knock it off, you guys. Enough is enough. Don't you wish Jesus would say this about you? When you're banged around, stepped on, and betrayed, and driven to the ground. And what else did Jesus say? He addressed her now. He said, Mary, you have done a beautiful thing to me. Anybody in this audience desires to hear Jesus say to you, when you really brought down, attacked, and, and maligned. Anybody who desires to hear Jesus say, John, Kathy, Philip, Brenda, you have done a beautiful thing to me. Would you like to hear Jesus say this about you? Raise your hand, please, if you desire that. Desire is granted right here and now. I mean that with all my heart. Because if you submit yourself to Jesus like Mary did, she did what she could. Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And he gave the reason for that. He said, because she has done her part. Her part. Many of us are trying to do many parts. All Christ expects of us because he's reasonable. Have you done your part? Because she has done her part, she has done what she could. Therefore, what she did in doing her part, she did something beautiful. Many of us are too conscientious. I am. I'm too conscientious. Devil really attacks us because he makes us feel inadequate. We've never done enough. I have a list. I work harder than many people. I teach full-time. I visit my students every day to get to know them, lead them to Christ on the week. And my wife and I travel hundreds of miles 
to conduct seminars, five, six, ten presentations a weekend, and I still feel I haven't done enough. I got a problem. I'm too conscientious. And this experience about Mary settled me, gave me peace, because Jesus is reasonable. He says, if you've done your part, oh, Lord, I have. You know I have. If you've done all, you, I've done all I can. Relax. Have my peace. Why? Because you've done a beautiful thing to me. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough. It might not be good enough to you or your neighbor's friends. If it's good enough for you, it settles it. It's good enough. That's what it means to develop our character. It's not like we become absolutely perfect. No. It's just we do our part. We do what we can. We do our best. And Jesus looks at our disposition and motives. And he steps in to compensate for all our deficiencies. He's the only one who doesn't have a deficiency. Every one of us has deficiencies. He compensates for all our deficiencies. I call this theology of hope. Theology of hope, any other theology, leads to despair. Either being perfectionistic or being a nominalist. This theology of hope, it says, Lord, you love me so much. Your love is so great to me, I am propelled to do my best for you. And my best is not good enough. But if I do my part, it's good enough for you. If it's good enough for you, it's good enough. I don't care what you and I feel, others feel or think. If Jesus thinks it's enough, it's enough. And he calls it something beautiful. That's what I mean by character. Now, Ellen White has a very good definition for these two terms, character and reputation slash popularity. Most people spend their precious time worrying about their reputation, their popularity, what people think of them. That's the truth. And hardly any time thinking about what God thinks of them. But in the final analysis, when everything's said and done, it comes down to the wire. The only thing that matters in this life is what God thinks of you. You can't tell Jesus at the end, Jesus, I have, like one of my students, by the way, said, he said, you know, Dr. Sam, I'm so popular, I have 4,000 friends on my Facebook. You cannot know 5,000 friends. It's just that I'm so popular. I'm in contact, 4,000 people. Well, first of all, I think there are too many. If you have two. 4,000 people, be careful, because, you know, there's a problem there. And the question I ask him, I hope Jesus is one of these friends. He said, well, I never thought of it this way. I never thought of Jesus being among my friends. Please think about that. And please don't do anything. Don't make decisions in life about dating or anything else unless Jesus becomes your best friend. That's what develops our character like Daniel's character. Like what Jesus said. He said, if you love father, mother, brother, sister, if you love daughter or son more than me, you're not worthy of me. And some people tell me, these are difficult texts to interpret. Well, you know, I grew up in the Holy Lands, and knowing the call, it's a very easy text to, re- to interpret. It doesn't even need interpretation, because that's how we talk to each other. What does this text mean? This is what it means. It means if you really, really want to love your wife and your husband or your child to the maximum with genuine love, the only answer is to submit yourself to Jesus and he'll fill you to overflowing with agape, genuine love. Then it flows out to others. Please, if you're thinking of marrying somebody, make sure he or she puts Jesus first. Because every human love is self-centered, is depleted. If you really want your husband to love you, let Jesus be his best friend. He fills him with genuine love and he pours it out on you. So when I counsel my students, especially in the springtime, when they feel so romantic, I don't know what about the springtime that does that for people. They sit in my office and we talk about different romantic things, let them wax eloquent about how much they love each other. 
I enjoy listening to that sweet talk, but then I ask a very serious question. It catches them by surprise. You know what I ask? Brittany, here is your boyfriend. Yes, yes, Laksamad, he is so sweet. You love him, don't you? Oh, I love him with all my heart. Well, I have a very important question to ask you. Is there some other friend you love more than your boyfriend? Never. He is the only one. What kind of a question is that? Well, let me ask it another way. It's always good to ask a question in different ways so people can get it. Is there anybody in this world, another young man you love more than your boyfriend? No, never. Okay. Uh, one last time. Is there anybody in the whole universe you love more than your boyfriend? Do, do you mean like, I mean, do you mean like universe? You mean like heaven? Y yes. Is it Jesus? Yes, exactly. Do you love Jesus more than your boyfriend? No, Dr. Saman, I don't. I don't. I just love my boyfriend more than anybody else. I said to her, well, uh, what about you, young man? He said, the same answer I give you. I love her more than anyone else and even more than Jesus. I said, you know, in this merit, premarital council, we have to do more work because I cannot advise you to get married or I cannot conduct your wedding ceremony unless we settle this issue that to help you love Jesus more than each other. And this will be the greatest favor anybody can do for you because I want you to enter marriage loving Jesus more than each other. And doesn't deprive you of loving each other, doesn't lessen your love for each other. It enhances it. It makes it thrive and explode with God's genuine love for each other. Let me ask a very delicate question. Right now, at this moment, do you love Jesus more than anyone else or more than anything else? Think about it. You have precious children, don't you? I think our children are most precious possessions. Do you love any of your children more than Jesus? We all want our children to be saved. That's the greatest desire. We should pray for them every moment. But let's suppose hypothetically that our child decides not to be saved and God cannot force himself on them. Would you still enjoy being in heaven with Jesus? Would you say to yourself, no, unless my son or daughter, prodigal son or daughter are not saved, I will not be in heaven. That would mean that you love your child more than Jesus. When you love somebody, you want to be with them. If you love Jesus, love seeks togetherness. You want to be with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that your son and might not be saved. We want them to. We do our best to pray for them, and many of them will come back home. But hypothetically, if they don't, would we still want to be in heaven just for the sake of seeing Jesus because we love him the most? Think about that. Think about that. Now, the other thing I want to say is this. Character is what God knows about us. Reputation is what people think of us. So we shouldn't spend all our energies worrying about our reputation, but focusing on what God knows about us, and that's our character. I mentioned in the first seminar about the question that Christ will ask us at the end. That will be the greatest quiz question, the greatest final exam question, the greatest question ever. That's the greatest question that distills life, encapsulate in one moment. He'll look at you and me. In fact, he will not look at He looks at your heart and my heart. You see, Jesus knows how to do research. He doesn't need to take surveys, conduct questionnaires. He doesn't need to do research. How does he get his answers? By looking directly at your heart and my heart. What an effective way to know what's in your heart. And he asked her the question, do I know you? That's what character is about, by the way, knowing Jesus. Do I know you? And he'll be able to answer his own question. Because we might give the wrong answer. He will answer his own question he raised. 
How does he do it? He look at your heart at the end, my heart, and he'll examine our heart and says, Ah, you are reflecting me in your heart. You are revealing me and my character and heart. Oh, by the way, I look at your heart and I see myself reflected in your life. I recognize me in you. That should be our holiest ambition for Jesus to recognize himself in us. And we cannot fake that, you know. We cannot pretend. It's between us and God. Oh, I pray to God all my heart that he will answer that question this way. I look at your heart, Philip Saman, and I see myself reflected in you. Therefore, I know you because I know myself in you. That's what character is about. It's what God thinks about us. So then, in doing research about the book of Daniel, I thought to myself, we have 33 books since Uriah Smith. I think that's enough for now. I think they will last until Jesus comes. I think Adventists know about the prophets of Daniel more than anyone else or any other denomination. We need to know more about his character. So the Lord convicted me to spend five years researching his character thoroughly. And this is, I'm going to share with you. We just borrow that, okay? Borrow it. I want you to give it back to me. But I want to see certain pertinent statements that be engraved in your mind and heart as you prepare for the coming of Jesus. So I want to ask my wife and maybe my good student from academy, Mrs. Tammy Milligan. Now, we don't have enough because more people showed up. I would like to share one with every family, every couple. If you're single by yourself, you can have a copy to look at. But we want to bring them back because we want to use them for the rest of the week. But I want you to look at certain pertinent statements and have it registered in your brain. Now then, while they... Thank you, thank you, Tammy. I appreciate you. Remember, I gave you an A when you were my student. And now you're still being a good student at the ripe age of 45. Do you know Tammy was student in academy? And now I come back to scam meeting, and my students all grown up and mature, have their own kids. Uh, Tammy, do you have children? How many do you have? Two? A boy and a girl. Are they 10 and 12 or older? I don't want to repeat that. No, I don't <laughs> want to repeat that. I can't believe it. They are older than I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like you to look at page 8, if you please. Page 8. And I want you, don't underline it, because I'm going to use the books again. Page 8. Just look at it. Top of the page in the introduction. Whenever I have the chance to contemplate the character of Daniel or to study his book, the words of the familiar chorus readily come to mind. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Isn't that relevant today? Isn't it the present truth? Especially in this postmodern age, everything is so chaotic and relativistic. Look at the other statement right after that. In a society of relativism, you know what that word means? It means anything goes. There are no absolutes. The truth is a moving target. What's truth to you is not truth to somebody else. What's truth today might not be truth tomorrow. That's what relativism is. And our society is full of that. Age of relativism and low moral expectations. You know, like some students cheat in my classes. I say, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. Oh, Dr. Saman, everybody does it. We need to teach character in our schools. We need to teach old-fashioned values, honesty, integrity, honor, respect. Courtesy, gratitude, low moral expectations. He inspires to go all out in our spiritual advance to stand and be firm. In our age of mediocrity, Daniel spurs us on to excellence. He unswervingly purposed in his mind to do the most for the cause of God and never to get by with the least. I mean, seven, you know, one of the chapters here about the lifestyle of Daniel. Lifestyle. Do you think Adventists in the last days are challenged about lifestyle? Don't tell me lifestyle is not important. 
It's a reflection of God's character in us. And their Adventist, well-meaning Adventist, tell me, Dr. Saman, isn't it okay to drink a little bit, like social drinking? And social drinking becomes more and more. It's good. It's good. It's good for my heart, some research showed. I don't care about this research. Don't drink. The Bible is against drinking, getting drunk, okay? I'm talking about lifestyle issues. And then the other one I want to share with you is right at the bottom of page 9. Look at the last paragraph. Last paragraph on page 9. The book of Daniel, through promises and prophecy, points the way forward to us as his faithful remnant in these final days of earth history. And now I quote from the spirit of prophecy, there is now need of men. And I don't like to add to what Ellen White said, but I like to add something. Now there is a need of men and women. Of course, men in these days implied women as well. Men and women who, like Daniel, will do and dare. Will do and dare. Dare to be a Daniel. Then on page 10, this introduction, we're beginning the seminar. We'll be talking about this all week. Page 10, the first paragraph. Are you with me? First paragraph, one-third down of the dear fellow believer. You are my dear fellow believers. I'm your fellow believer. It's for all of us. It's an appeal before you even start the study. In this relativistic age, when so many people do what seems right in their own eyes, let us dare to be a Daniel and do what's right in God's eyes for a change. Let us dare to stand alone, tall, tenacious for his cause, regardless of what others do in bowing to the idols of this prevailing culture. Let us dare to have his purpose firm in our hearts. Let's be secure and bold in Christ to make his truth known. God desperately needs you and me to be modern-day Daniels, impacting our spheres of influence for his kingdom. The pressure of the prevailing political correctness and moral permissiveness caused so many to bow the knee to the enticing gods of this world. Yet, he wants us to be his faithful remnant who, like John the Baptist, stand erect and fearless in the presence of earthly monarchs. Why? Because he had bowed low before the King of Kings. The most urgent and pressing need is to have more Daniels in this world who reflect Christ's character in their lives and witness the life of Daniel is, and I'm quoting here, an illustration of what he will do for those who yield themselves to him and with the whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose. The greatest want of the world is the want of men and women. By the way, we used to hear that more often. When I was a teenager, we don't hear this very often. The greatest need of this world today is for men. And women who will not be bought or sold. Oh, my friends, there's a lot of buying and selling when it comes to spiritual matters. Don't ever think our church is free of politics. I worked on all levels of the church. Local level, church, conference, union, division, general conference. And the devil is contending for the very soul of the church everywhere. Let us not let him win. Because he is a big loser and Christ is a big winner. Let's always decide for the winner, Jesus. The devil is everywhere. He knows he has a short time. Let's never be bought or so. Let's never lose our integrity. Let's never compromise. But do it in the spirit of love and respect. But we got to stand for something. Otherwise, we stand for nothing. And when we stand for Jesus, we need to stand for all of Jesus, not just part of Jesus. Because there are all kinds of movements today affecting our churches and saying only focus on one part of Jesus. I would like to have all of Jesus. I don't just like to pick and choose what I like. 
I don't tell Jesus how to be. I ask Jesus, please help me to be like you. Like French philosopher and theologian Pascal said, God made us in his image. And somehow we return the favor by trying to make him into our own image. It's not that we change Jesus. Jesus changes us. Jesus doesn't need to be changed. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. It seems like so many people want to change Jesus to be like them. Men and women who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That's hard, isn't it? But we always speak the truth in love. Remember that. Jesus always spoke the truth in love and tears in his voice. Truth in love. But Satan even takes this wonderful balance statement. He says, oh, speak the truth without love. Or the other extreme, think you love without speaking the truth. If you speak the truth without love, you become a legalist and harsh and exacting. And if you think you love without speaking the truth, your love is sentimental, superficial, and what calls it misguided love. It enables people to do more of the same. Whose conscience? Oh, Lord, help us to have a clear conscience. Do you know there are people sometimes seem like they have no conscience. They hurt each other. They betray each other. They do everything to discourage people away from Christ. And they seem like they haven't done anything, as if they have no conscience. Oh, Lord, protect our conscience. To make our conscience always sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to make it as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. When I talk about you, when I talk to you about this, I think what they said in the first seminar Christians like you and me, Chaldean Christians, Assyrian Christians in Iraq and Syria and other parts of the Middle East are standing for Jesus, though the heavens fall. If they can do it, why can't do it with God's help? Under the most severe circumstances, they are told, either deny Jesus, you die. And you have a choice to die, either by execution, beheading, or crucifixion. And can you believe it? They are Christians today, in that part of, in the midst of mayhem and civil war. And the greatest suffering ever known to man, they say, we'd rather die then deny Jesus. The character of Daniel helped him to build, Ellen White said, helped him with a bank of deposit in spirituality. A spiritual reservoir. <laughs> that when the challenge came upon him, even as a teenager, he didn't, he, he did not just come across surprised or he unraveled. He said, oh, let me, let me think about it. He said, no. He resolved in his heart. Not to follow himself. It was a decided issue. Joseph in Egypt. He didn't say, well, I don't know what the most loving thing to do. I mean, this enticing woman, after all, I need her husband. My, my life depends on pleasing her. Nobody sees me. I'm in a foreign country. My parents are not here. But he resolved like Daniel ahead of time. How can, I, how can I commit this great sin and sin against my God? He was willing to die and he could have died for standing for truth. That's the kind of people Jesus needs in these last days. He said, well, it's hard for me to do that. You can never do it alone. It's only with Jesus. Only with Jesus. As you walk with Jesus, he transforms you by beholding, by walking with him. He become changed into his image. Then, I'm thinking right now of Dr. Ben Carson. <clears throat> How many have heard of the name Dr. Carson, a Seventh-day Adventist surgeon from Johns Hopkins University? You know, he ran for the president for two weeks. He was ahead in the polls, ahead of Donald Trump. People really respected him. I mean, no matter what you think of him. I guess he might be even, uh, he might be called upon to be vice presidential candidate or maybe take a part of our government if the Republicans win. But, 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 but let's not be political. God works behind the scenes. We live in very troubled times. I have no idea who to vote for. I don't know what to do this time. God has to guide me. 
it's trouble everywhere. But the reason I mention his name is because when he started running for the presidency, the news media challenged him and said, Dr. Carson, you're a famous surgeon known around the world. Your books are everywhere. You could have a nice, restful, peaceful retirement. Why trouble yourself with politics? Why pollute yourself with politics? Because the news media will be after you and research everything about you and they'll find some skeletons in your closet. What an expression, by the way. Skeletons in the closet. You know, in my closet, I just, I just want to see myself praying to God in my closet. Or maybe some shirts and some underwear. But, but skeletons? That sounds ominous, you know? Skeletons in the closet. Quite an expression. You know, Dr. Carson looked in the camera like this. He looked in the camera and he said with a smile, with peace on his face, said, but by the grace of God, I have no skeletons. Isn't that nice not to have skeletons? I have no skeletons. Other politicians have to hide and run and defend themselves, hire lawyers to cover up the skeletons. Ben Carson said, but I have no skeletons. And if that was the case, and I have no reason not to believe it's the case, that's what Daniel experienced. His political enemies who want him dead. They are jealous of him. He was the prime minister. They want to do everything to have him dead, and they cooked up the scheme to deceive Darius. Daniel's best friend. This is him about Daniel. Flattered him. Make a decree that nobody would pray to any except you. You're the most important person. Okay, let's go with it. For your empire to stay intact. For your subjects to be loyal. It's a good thing for the empire. So nobody would rebel against you. He signed it without thinking about Daniel. And they start doing research on Daniel. Do you want somebody to do research on you? Raise your hand. Thorough research. IRS, anything. All of us have some sins in our lives we're ashamed of. I don't care how good you are. Only Jesus doesn't have sin in his life. Thank God he takes our sins away. Thank God. By his grace, if you submit yourself to Christ, he takes away one skeleton, ten skeletons, any skeletons you have in the closet. He takes them away. They don't exist anymore. He makes you into a new creation. Don't worry about the skeletons if you submit yourself to Christ. His enemies began to do research. Can you imagine your enemies, all these ministers, doing research in Babylon to find one tiny thing against Daniel, one tiny thing, and if you really want someone to die, you could even make up things. They couldn't. In every way, he was okay. But they found one problem with Daniel. Oh, may God grant us this one problem, every one of us. That's what helps us have Christ's character reflected in our lives. What was the only problem they found? He was a spiritual man. He prayed faithfully. Oh, won't that be wonderful in a time of trouble when people come to accuse us of things worthy of death or imprisonment? They find one problem with us. We pray. We love God. We're faithful. Please take this the right way. I don't mean to criticize anybody, but I taught at Andrews University for 10 years and examiners to accredit our seminary came from different seminaries. And they spent two, three days with us. I mean, that was in the old days when I was a professor there. It was like 22 years ago. That's a long time, isn't it? 22 years ago. And, you know, I'm sure now it's different. I haven't taught there for 20 years. But this tells us something about who we are as Adventists. Are we showcases for God in this world? Are we spiritual like Daniel? When people come to examine us and evaluate us, would they find this one problem in our lives? We're spiritual because we pray faithfully. 
And so they spent two, three days examining our records, examining our curriculum, examining our finances, examining the ratio of professors to students. And they gave us the results of their evaluations in a faculty meeting. And said, everything is wonderful. Everything is great. Oh, everything is working well. Academically, you're very excellent. But we have one question we want to ask before we leave. You folks do everything right at the seven-day Advent seminary, but we have one question to ask. We haven't seen any people praying. Do you folks ever pray? What a question to ask Adventist theologians. You do everything right, but do you ever pray? <laughs> I'm saying this to make the application of our lives today with Daniel. Daniel, do you ever pray? You're a wonderful prime minister. You're so smart, astute, clever, wise. Do you ever pray? Oh, yeah, that's the only thing they found wrong in his life. He prayed faithfully to God. When people come to your home, examiners come to our churches, will they find us praying? Praying is an expression of Christ's character in your life. And today people talk about assurance of salvation. Somebody asked me after my seminar on Islam, Muslims don't have assurance of salvation. They don't. Why? Because they don't have a Savior. That's why I need to present them Jesus. He's the only answer to their problems, to every problem. The only one who can give assurance of salvation. But with us Seventh-day Adventists, we do have assurance of salvation, but some of it is true, some of it is false. With God's help, I want to do my best to divest people of false assurance of salvation. Do you think there's false assurance? Don't you think there's false assurance? Of course there is. Like a student came after his summer break. Dr. Saban, my pastor said, literally he said his pastor, his pastor needs some help to know Jesus and have the right kind of assurance in his life and teach right assurance genuine assurance to others. He said, well, I will give you a little formula here. It will help you be right with Jesus. Love Jesus and do as you please. And he said to me, it's so wonderful. It's a win-win situation. Jesus enjoys being loved, and I like to have fun. So he's happy. I'm happy. I said, let me change the statement for you. Love Jesus and do as he pleases, not as you please. And when you please Jesus first, he gives you genuine pleasure that lasts forever. Because Jesus came to this world not to please himself, to please his Father. And I said to him, do you enjoy walking with Jesus? He said, no, I can't stand walking with Jesus. It's boring for me. Do you ever enjoy reading your Bible? Oh, I can't stand reading the Bible. Do you ever pray? No, I don't pray. I don't like to pray. But I have the assurance of salvation. My friends, let me tell you the truth about genuine assurance salvation. If you plan, by the grace of God, to walk with Jesus in heaven, why not practice walking with him here on this earth? The only way to be ready for walking with Jesus in heaven if you walk with Jesus right here. And Enoch walked with God on, in this world. He was, and then he moved on to walk with God in heaven. That's what I mean by genuine character by being intimate with Jesus, walking with Jesus, getting to know Jesus. Let Jesus, he loves you, of course he loves you, but as he walks with you, he transforms you to be more like him. Look at page 14 for a moment. Page 14. There is this thing about bank deposit. I was really surprised to read. I never read it that way before. And this is, I'm looking at first, second, third paragraph. The end of the third paragraph, those who, like Daniel, refuse to defile themselves will reap the reward of temperate habits with their greater physical stamina, increased power of endurance. They have, and I'm quoting now, and I'm italicizing it for importance, a bank of deposit upon which to draw in case of emergency. Messages to young people. I like that expression, bank of deposit, draw on in times of emergency. Daniel had emergencies. Offered with the richest food. 
He had a bank of spiritual deposit in case he was charged. Oh, I've already resolved not to defile myself. Joseph, do you have a bank of deposit? Bank of spirituality to draw from in time of emergency? Yes. When I was tempted as a young man to defile myself with this beautiful princess of Egypt, at the risk of imprisoning my life, I said, how can I commit this great sin and sin against God? You see? We are to be prepared, not to be startled, not to act from impulse, not to let me think about No, no. We know what's truth. And we're ready when it comes to be able to dare to be a Daniel. Say, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like, I want to be like Daniel. Now, this is the introduction for our seminar. Uh, somebody asked me yesterday about this. He said, you know, in the book, I read it. I enjoyed it. But you know this thing about being peculiar people? I don't like to be peculiar. I don't like to be distinctive. I don't like to stick out like a sore thumb. Because today, the pressure is on. Peer pressure, blend with everybody. Be like everybody. Accept everything. Don't let people think of you as judgmental. Today, by the way, young people, anything you tell them, they think you're judgmental. And people give up, say, I don't want to be called judgmental, so I just let them do anything they want. We got to love them but hold them accountable. Young lady came to me. She said, my parents don't love me anymore. I said, what do you mean? I know your parents. They're my students at Andrews University years ago. They love you very much. No, no, because I'm going to get married and they don't approve of my marriage. Well, there must be a reason. Can you tell me more about it? Your parents love you and the best for you. What kind of a person are you going to marry? Well, he got many problems. Like what? He's a drug dealer. He's been in prison four times. And now he refuses to go with me to church. He said, when we have children, he never wants them to go to church school. And I said, that's the beginning of the list. Yes, sir. What are you planning to do? She said, I'll fix him. I'll help him. He'll be my mission project. We'll work on things after marriage. But my parents don't love me because they don't agree with me. And I said to her, by the way, if you love somebody genuinely, do you always have to agree with them? Did God love his people? Of course he did. Did he always agree with them? No. Are, are you with me? This is the modern culture now. If you love somebody, suppose you agree with everything they do. In the spirit of love, say, you know, I respect your choice, but I love you so much. I want the best for you. I want you to submit yourself to Jesus and let Jesus guide you. Anyway, now I said page 23 about being peculiar people. Is that a biblical term? Do you think the word peculiar people is in the Bible? I asked my students, they don't, they don't know. Because maybe we're not forgetting what it means to be peculiar. Look at page 23, please. And I'm looking at the end of the second paragraph, about two Three-fourths down, the end of the second paragraph on page 23. And I'm quoting Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself peculiar people. Peculiar people. I look at the Greek, it's still the same. It doesn't change the meaning. He wants us to be peculiar people. What else? Now, not, not, to, not to be a nuisance in society, not to be a bunch of weirdos, but to show the glory of God, that we are showcased for God, and He is proud to show off what His gospel can do through transformed lives. That's what I'm talking about. In the old days, you used to recognize who's a Seventh-day Adventist. I tell you, when I first came to this country, I was a teenager, and I was traveling in Greyhound bus to Texas to do coal powdering. And on the bus, it took us one week to get to Texas. Many people came on the bus, off the bus. I could tell you, I recognize all the Seventh-day Adventist Christians. I was so bold to go to them and say, are you a Seventh-day Yes. I was still God showcased in these last words distinguished as his special showcase, as his shining stars in this dark world. 
We don't do this because it's legalistic. We do it because we want to do the best for Jesus. We want to represent him well by example. Now then, in page 23, we continue now the text in 1 Peter 2.9. So here you have Paul and Peter. But Peter says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Twice mentioned that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There in that chapter, it talks further about two experiences. I would like all of us to choose one of them. And the first one is the applause of people. <laughs> applause of people, the standing ovations of people. And the other one is the approval of God. They both begin with the same letter A. Big difference. Applause of people, approval of God. Daniel craved the approval of God and put aside the applause of people. You know why? Because the applause of people dies. Sometimes the same people applaud you and curse you. But the approval of God never changes. And what comes down to the why, only approval of God would matter. That's all. If your time comes to breathe your last, would you be thinking, people applauding me or God approving me? It will all be God approving me. God approving me. With Daniel, I don't know why it says the approval of God was more precious than life itself. There's a difference between professing Christ with the mouth and possessing him in the heart. I'm talking about two words, profession and possession. Today, there are too many professors of Jesus from the mouth. We need more possessors of Christians in the heart. Like this man whose, whose, whose specialty was to recite poetry, classical works, the Bible, and he made his living this way. And he was asked to speak at a convention of 5,000 people or so reciting the 23rd Psalm. He recited impeccably in such a moving way. The Lord is my shepherd. And he received a thunderous applause and a standing ovation for a few moments, two, three minutes. And then when the applause died down, people sat down. This great orator called upon an elderly man who wasn't eloquent, but he possessed Christ, the shepherd, in his heart. You could tell it by the atmosphere exerted around him. And he called him up to come to the stage. He put his arm around me. He said, would you please recite the same psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. He recited with such feeling, with such emotion, with such passion, people sense clearly. He wasn't just talking about the shepherd. He possessed the shepherd in his heart. At the end of his recitation, he received the opposite response. No applause, no standing ovation. Still quiet, you can hear a pin drop, but one thing happened that was different to prick the horse of the listeners. There was no dry eye in the audience. Everybody was weeping with conviction. He came up to the stage, put his arm around this elderly gentleman who possessed Christ, the shepherd in his heart. He said, we both recite the same psalm. Apparently there was a different response. You know why? Because I know the psalm, but this man knows the shepherd. There's nothing wrong in knowing the psalm, but we must know the shepherd because he's the only one who can transform our lives to make them more like Jesus. Look at my notes. I'm not finished yet. <laughs> I just came from a camp meeting. They spoiled me. They gave me for each seminar two hours. That's a long time, isn't it? But believe it or not, I took every minute. <laughs> but now here, it's okay. I mean, it's an hour, 15 minutes, it's okay. So I'm going to tell you an experience and wait to share with this, this with you tomorrow. Because, I mean, if you preach one sermon, that's it. But I have four or five times to speak here. So we're going to, you know, we're going to cover this. Don't worry. But I want to share with you an experience. And we'll have prayer. About what? About being peculiar. About sticking out. Sticking out like a sore thumb. What an expression. 
sore thumb. By the way, don't worry about sticking out. You know why? Because Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, whom you serve with all your heart, stuck out on the cross of Calvary as the worst criminal crucified between two thieves. Don't ever worry about you sticking out, not being approved by your peers. As long as Jesus approves of you, it doesn't matter who approves of you. Who's going to help you in the judgment when Jesus comes? Only Jesus' approval. And now is the time to invest in that, that nobody will take away from, from you. Well, when I start my pastoral ministry, I was only in my early 20s. I was naive in this and didn't know much about, you know, ministry and different denominations. And I got in the mail an invitation for the local ministerial association. Do you know what the ministry association is? It's where all the pastors and priests meet together once a week to fellowship, to eat. So there are about 25 of them. And I was invited as Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I thought, you know, I like to witness. I like to mingle with people. I like to share my faith with people. And when uh, I got to the restaurant, there was going to be a luncheon. And uh, somebody asked me, he said, uh, are you a Baptist? Are you the new Baptist in town? Are you the new La- Lutheran? No, no, sir. What denomination? I'm Seventh-day Adventist. He said, oh, we don't accept Adventists around here. You're a cult. We don't invite cult leaders here. Uh, what a wonderful thing to witness about who Adventists are. Adventists are Christ-centered and biblically based. We believe in two things with all our hearts. Loyalty to the living word Jesus and loyalty to his written word, the Bible. With these two things that summarize everything about us. I said, well, I'm sorry you feel this way. I I just feel maybe I'm pushing myself. Uh, Please forgive me. I just got an invitation. And I accepted it. I mean, you know, I'm really hungry. Can I just get some food and then you get rid of me? Okay. I mean, a hungry man got to feed him. So I sat to eat with them. And the Lord blessed my conversation with the pastor sitting next to me and the word got around. Dr. Saman, this new Adventist pastor in town, he's a born-again Christian. Isn't that amazing how startling it is that a seventh-day Adventist born again? Of all the people of the world, seventh-day Adventists must have the most born-again Christians because Jesus said to even Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you shall let into the kingdom of heaven. That should be our emphasis, to be born again. And the word got around at the lunch, and different ministers began to know, Saman is sharing his testimony. This man loves Jesus. Oh, he's born again. What kind of a strange seventh-day Adventist? And people began to tell me after the luncheon, are you an Adventist? Really? Are you sure? I'm sure. And I pulled out my wallet to show my credentials. Official Seventh-day Adventist minister. Oh, yeah, we believe, but you're different. They caused me, instead of going home after eating, they let me stay there for two hours and a half, asked me questions about my faith, and said, next week you come prepared for an interview because we all want to have questions for you. And you better be prepared to stay three, four, five hours. Bless your heart. Oh, you flatter me with how much you think I can help you. I'll be ready next week. We had the greatest time. Six hours we stayed. Answer their questions about the gospel, Adventism, distinctive teachings, and the coming of Christ, and all that. From now on, you're always welcome to come. And because we're always welcome to come, even though I stuck out, different, Sabbath, and Spirit of prophecy and all of that. My wife and I spent time visiting all these people, all these religious leaders in their homes, ministering to them, making friends with them. And they were in love with us because we're in love with Jesus. And they appreciate our distinctive message. In fact, some of them invited me to speak at their churches and prayer meetings. I wouldn't invite them, but they invited me. I took advantage of that. And then it came to the end of the year. And they have to have elections for new officers for the ministry association by secret ballot. And when they brought the ballots in, of the 26 of them, they told me I got 25 votes for me to be the president, the new president of the association. 
You say it was 26. Somebody voted against you. Yes, it was me. <laughs> I didn't vote for myself. Can you imagine? For standing, standing for Jesus and my faith and my peculiar beliefs, now instead of ready to push me out. Now they chose me to be their ministerial association president, and that gave me the liberty to minister in many, to many of them and their families and children in ways I cannot have time to tell you. Don't ever be intimate by everybody. Stand up to be like Daniel. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have the living word, Jesus, in your heart. You have the written word, the Bible, in your hand. We don't want to make apologies to anything. We are Christ-centered and biblical. Stand up like Daniel in these last days. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to make your purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we desire with all our hearts to be modern-day Daniels and Daniela's. And the only way we can do it is for you to stand by us. Like Paul said, others left me because I stood up for the truth. But thank God the Lord Jesus stood by me. Please stand by us. Help us to believe this awesome promise. If you hold on to me, I'll hold on to you with a firm grip that will never let go. It's not about our grip. It's about your grip. We just do our best to hold your hand and you hold us tight. Tight. Thank you, Lord, for believing in us. We desire all our hearts to be like Daniel. We cannot be as good as Daniel. Who are we? But you're not asking us to do the impossible. You're saying, do your best. Do your part. Do what you can. And you become my righteousness. I'll compensate for all your deficiencies. It's a doable thing by the grace of Jesus. Help us to love you. Help us to have the right attitude, the right motives. Help us to do things from a pure heart. And forgive us when we don't. We always need to be forgiven. Send this Michigan conference, send the churches in this conference through Daniels. Who are not afraid to stick out and who speak the truth always in love. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.